0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: We are page 173. It's the only letter that has an explanation that was included as part of the letter, because it's such a sensitive uh, t- subject, you know, after all the explanations are said and done, it's just too uh, emotional, it's too personal, it hits home. You're talking about there's a love, there's a relationship, there's a connection, and the void is just unbearable, the human pain is just unbearable. So all the understanding and all the explanations in the world um, is not adequate to comfort or to address the deep the loss and the deep pain because the Rebbe, the leader, means so much to the Chassid. And it's like a father and a child relationship and it's just it's like the whole foundation is missing and You know, it's not something we can reconcile. And uh, the truth is that's how God created us. Death in general, we're not philosophical about death. A person who doesn't mourn for for a loved one is not philosophical, is not enlightened. That's how the philosophers define themselves, as the enlightened ones, because they dealt with death very philosophically. But according to the Torah, a person like Plato is actually very cruel. A person who is cool about death is is actually cruel. It's evil. It's it's not normal. Um, Because there's the human anguish. A person has any humanity and any feelings. How could you not mourn on death, you know? So the feeling of mourning is a very genuine feeling. It's a very real feeling. Because in a perfect world, there should be no death. You know, seven billion people have it right. The average person has more wisdom in their, in their fingertips than the pseudo-intellectuals who consider themselves enlightened but are truly darkened. In a perfect world, there is no death. Something is wrong with this picture. Something is wrong with death. When God created the world. Man was programmed to live forever. Death is an aberration, a distortion. And that's why we can never make peace with it, even though although everyone we know dies. But we simply can't make peace with it. There's something wrong with it. So the, the emotional reaction, the gut reaction, is a genuine reaction. We can't reconcile ourselves with it disturbs us, bothers us. Especially the death of a righteous person. Especially the death of a Rebbe, our leader, our teacher, our (laughs) mentor, our guide, our spiritual father. And that's the way it should be. And yet at the same time, paradoxically, the Torah says he's not allowed to mourn excessively. The same Torah that says that a person who doesn't mourn is cruel and evil, a person who thinks he's being philosophical and is actually just being cruel and vicious, but a person who does mourn but mourns excessively is also wrong. Torah says you have to mourn. There's the first day, and then there's the first three days, and then there's the first seven days, shiva, and then there's the 30 days, and then there's the 11 months and the year. There are stages. And then you've got to move on. And they're both true. They're both correct. It seems like a paradox, but in truth, as the Rebbe points out, they both come from the same place. Because we love this person, this person is so beloved to us. So, on one hand, we're very happy for them. As the Rebbe once told someone, someone came in very disturbed, had a private audience with the Rebbe, and then he walked out, he was a little soothed, and the Rebbe calmed him down a little. The Rebbe told him, imagine if your son, he lost his son, imagine if your son had to go away on a trip. And it was a trip that would save the Jewish people, this life-saving journey would you be happy for him? He says, sure. And he said, would you send them packages, care packages, take care of him, some food, some other things, take care of him? He says, happily. So the Rebbe says, your son went to to. A, he went to a better place. He he's went on a journey. He went to a place, and you can send him care packages. Any mitzvah that you do, and his merit, anything that you do, so, because you love the person and you know the person is in a good place you're happy for them, they're no longer suffering they have everything they need they're in a good place, an illuminated place no more anguish, no more pain no more sorrow for that same reason you mourn because you miss them you miss the human company and you miss their smile, and you miss the arguments, <laughs> you miss the, the uh, being able to touch them and be with them. But for that same reason, you're also happy for them. So like everything in life, truth is paradoxical. We mourn, but we don't mourn excessively. So to hear, yes, the anguish and the loss, it's unbearable, the loss of the tzaddik, of the a spiritual leader. It's indescribable the loss. It, 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 it's a hole in the heart. Your heart aches. Your heart pains. Your heart is crying. Your heart is shredded, crushed to a thousand pieces. And that's genuine. And that's the correct response. And that's why the Alter Rebbe has to write a letter to console himself and the Hasidim both in Russia and in Israel and he has to write an explanation because the sorrow is just overwhelming it's just crushing all the intellectual explanations in the world it barely addresses the pain in the heart but at the same time we have to know the truth and the truth is that it's not simple not that the Rebbe is gone and died and and done with, over and done with and buried and forgotten. As he explained, and he's going to explain even more now that not only is the Rebbe now in a lofty place, he's been elevated to this lofty existence and this lofty level, but elevated position, but actually the Rebbe is now more active. From his elevation, the Rebbe is now more active and more effective and more impactful than he ever was while he was his soul was in the body. His influence is much deeper and much more powerful than it was while it was limited to the body. So that's the consolation, that's a call for action, that's a call for activism, a call for deepening life and intensifying life and rejuvenating us, and with a vigor, with an intensity to live even stronger and deeper and to grow even more. So this is the explanation that he's going to add to what we learned earlier.
0: The Rebbe now provides a deeper understanding of the above letter. It is stated in the sacred Zohar that when it departs, departs, he is to be found in all the worlds more than during his lifetime. Now this needs to be understood for granted that he is to be found increasingly in the upper worlds when he descends there
1: following his passing. There's a tremendous joy in heaven when the soul departs and the soul comes to heaven. There's a tremendous welcoming by the angels, by God, the Hashem. This soul, this pure soul, everything the soul went through and all the experiences of its lifetime after 120 years the soul is elevated to heaven is indescribable joy the soul is returned home the soul is experienced the soul is this warrior that went through all these experiences and is enriched and mission accomplished and especially the soul of a tzaddik mission accomplished and you can imagine we can't even imagine the joy the rejoicing in heaven it's like a conquering hero he gets a, a, full, a, a parade, right? Down Fifth Avenue, Wall Street, what's the... <laughs> a, a, a ticker, a ticker, a ticker, ticker-tape parade. <laughs> a conquering hero, succeeded, accomplished tremendous things in this life, in this world. Comes shining, sparkling, accomplished, achieved. It has what to show, victory after victory, tremendous. So for us, it's like uh, we're deflated. In this world, we're deflated. We feel defeated. We feel we lost the general. He died in battle. We lost him. But in heaven, this is a conquering hero coming home to a parade, a march. So that makes sense. In heaven, we can understand that the soul is elevated and the soul, there's, there's tremendous joy. But the question is, and now is he found more in this world? How can you say that? He's found in this world. This world, we feel the emptiness, the void, the the, the, the lack of the tzaddik. We can no longer hear him. We can no longer see him. He's not present. How can you say he's more present in this world? More so than while he was alive? Now that we, in this physical world, this world that's, the world of of. The taste and touch and see and smell and hear. We can see him, we can hear him and you're telling me that he's more alive in this world than he was before. And that makes no sense. How do you understand it? May it be explained along the lines of a
0: teaching which I received concerning the idiom of our sages, a blessed memory, that a departed sadek has left life to all the living.
1: So this is an expression we find in the, the document of a, a Yavama, a leveret marriage. Torah says if a If a person dies, has a childless marriage, and he dies, so his brother should marry his wife. So to make sure that he has children. To have a child for his brother's sake. So in this document, this document of marriage between the brother who's marrying his brother's wife, his, 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 his departed brother's wife, so they write this expression. That so-and-so, the shavak chayim l'chol chay. It literally is trying to say that he left, he left the living. But the literal translation is, the shavak chayim, he left life for the living. Not that he departed, but that he left us life. Which is a very puzzling expression. What do you mean he left life to the living? Means he added life to the living? He left us a piece of life? What does that mean? As mentioned
0: above, the expression is problematic. Surely he has not left anyone life which was not their own. Now the will now explain in what sense it may truly be said that the departed sadhak left his surviving disciples something of his own life. As is,
2: as is known, the life of the Sadik is not a fleshy life but a spiritual life consisting of faith, awe and love. These he possesses not only from self but transmits to his disciples as well. In Scripture we find that faith, awe, and love are each termed life. Thus, of faith it is written, and the Tzaddik lives by its faith, it is written, the awe of the And of love it is written, who, he who pursues tzedakah and Chesed will find life. And Chesed signifies love, for love is its core. Hence, when the term life is used to describe Chesed, it applies to love as well. To sum up, faith in God and the awe and love of Him Or uh, thus all referred to as life.
1: So when we say life, someone is alive. Someone is making a nice living. He's alive. He's having a time of his life. How do we define life? You know, most of us, material beings, we define life as we're enjoying our lives, we're having fun, we're making money. Some people, it's fame. Some people, it's power, influence, some people it's indulgence. Or it's just continuing my existence? Ego. But real life, true life, is if it's connected to the source of life. That's true life. That's the real definition of life. That's the inner life that no money all the money in the world can buy. All the money in the world can buy real love and real joy and honor. This is uh, something that comes from within. This comes when you connect it to godliness, the source of life, Hashem. So who's truly alive? The tzaddik. When you look in the eyes of a tzaddik, you see someone who's truly alive. The eyes sparkle. You know, you look in the eyes of most people, they're just jaded, they're dead. Seen everything, done everything, anything goes, everything goes, no limits, no boundaries, just live for the moment. It's really nihilistic, empty, meaningless, devoid of any meaning, any purpose. There's no past, there's no future. It's an instantly forgettable moment, and it's an instantly forgettable life like a piece of chewing gum. It tastes good for a a second and a half, and then you just spit it out. There's nothing there. Real life is something that lasts, that's enduring, that's eternal, that's connected to the source of life. where past, present, and future all merge. It's connected to everything in the past. There's a future. every, Every moment is pregnant, is meaningful, is real. You look in the eyes of a tzaddik, you see innocence, you see purity you see holiness, you see life vitality, vibrant you see someone who's vibrating, who's energized, who's connected who's so, a life that's so meaningful and so pregnant with meaning and purpose and there's such a zest and there's such a you know, we can't even imagine says Rabbi Yitzhak Barditcher, the great Hasidic master the night of Sukkot, he couldn't sleep all night. Couldn't wait till the morning to bless the Lulav and the Esrik. He was so eager, so excited, eventually Lulav and the Esrik, that he didn't even notice the Esrik was behind this glass glass door. So he reaches into the, you know doesn't realize it's the glass, smashes the glass, takes the Esrik, his hand is bleeding, he doesn't even notice, oblivious, to his his pain and he's so eager and so excited to do the mitzvah that he does it with such love and with such joy I mean can we imagine what that's like you're so alive you're so vibrating with energy you're so alive and you're so excited and you're so joyful so energized because you're doing a mitzvah because you love Hashem you're in awe of Hashem you have faith that Hashem creates the world each and every moment and you're in tune with that and you're connected with that and you're excited, inspired, moved, touched, transformed, challenged, changed. You're constantly focused and concentrated and thinking about Hashem. That's life. That's a person who's truly alive. Every moment, every moment, every second, every day, every week, every month, every year, this person is truly living it up. He is alive. He doesn't need constant vacations and constant escapism and constant distractions. And He's so alive. He's so focused, connected. Every moment is so real. So natural. So genuine. So the tzaddik, this is, he is the one who's truly alive. Well, we're like the walking dead. We're like the sleepwalking. Eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear, oblivious, unplugged, disconnected. Versus the Tzaddik, he's alive. He's for real. He's a real, live human being. He's truly connected and plugged in at all times, at all places. Down to earth, real. He's tapping into eternity. Every moment of his life is connected to every previous past moment and all future moments. and Every moment is meaningful. When he drinks water because he's thirsty, he stops and he makes a bracha and he makes a blessing. And there's a moment of awareness. The miracle of this cup of water. Baruch atah Hashem, alekeinu melech, alam she'akon Nothing just happens. Every moment becomes meaningful and real. This is life. So the tzaddik is truly alive. Life is, if there's awe of Hashem, if there's a love for Hashem, if there's kindness which is motivated by love for Hashem, and if there's a faith in Hashem, this is life. That's truly alive. Not a person, there's more to life than not being dead. Not every person that's walking down the street is alive. It's just wicked people, evil people, even when they're, they're alive, they're dead. Because the life is meaningless. It's nihilistic. It's it's absolutely meaningless. There's no point. There's no purpose. We're not coming from anywhere. We're not going anywhere. There's no destiny. There's no sense of mission. There's no sense of connection. It's just living for the moment. Versus the tzaddik is truly alive. So when the tzaddik is truly alive, this life continues. The righteous people, the rabbis say, even when they're dead, they're alive. Because they were alive when they were alive. They were truly alive. And that life continues. That life doesn't go anywhere. That relationship with Hashem, that connection with Hashem, only grows and blossoms and grows deeper and stronger and more intensifies after the tzaddik passes away physically. That inner life just continues to blossom.
2: And these three attributes are present in every world up to the highest of levels all proportionate to the levels of the worlds. One by the other, by way of cause and effect as is known. At any level, each world serves as an antecedent a course to the lesser world the effect which it brings into being.
1: You have so many level, levels within love of Hashem and awe of Hashem and faith in Hashem. You have level upon level upon level. But whatever level you're at, it's comprised of these three elements. There's the faith in Hashem and there's the love of Hashem, and then there's the awe and respect and awe of Hashem.
3: Now while the Sadiq was alive on earth, these three attributes were contained in their vessel and garment. On the plane of physical space, this being the aspect of the nefesh which is bound to his body. During his lifetime, his disciples all received only a reflection of these attributes and a ray from them. That radiates beyond this vessel, i.e. the Sadiq's body, By means of his holy utterances and thoughts. The Tzaddik's utterances and thoughts are able to reveal no more than a minor minor ray of his actions.
1: Even the thoughts of a Tzaddik does have an effect. You don't know what a person is thinking. So it makes sense that the actions of a Tzaddik, we see his actions, so we're inspired by his actions. We will see him in action. So we see his example, he's a role model. Uh, we, his speech, we're inspired by his speech. He's speaking to us, he's communicating, he's inspiring us. But his thoughts, but even thoughts, even though we don't know what a person is thinking, but the thoughts illuminate the face. You know, we can tell when a person is lost in thought, deeply lost in thought. We have no idea what he's thinking about. But, but we see, we see on the face, we see that the person is lost in thought. The Talmud says that one of the rabbis said the reason why I was so sharp because I saw the face of my rebbe." And the other student says if I would have seen the face of my rebbe, I would have been even sharper. I just heard him, but I didn't see his face. So just seeing the face, being able to look him in the eyes and seeing his face, even though I, can't, I don't know his whole thought process and I can't see, I don't, but just looking at the face, I see the effect of his thought." which has a tremendous impact on the student. So even though it's not direct, it's indirect. It's not that I know what he's thinking, but it, 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 imp- it makes an impression on the face, and by looking at the face, it has an effect and leaves an impression on the student. So the tzaddik has an effect even outside of the vessel through his speech and through his holy thoughts.
3: That is why our sages of blessed memory said that one cannot plumb the depth of his master's teachings until the passage of 40
1: years. It says in the Talmud it takes 40 years until we can really get to the bottom, the depth of the teachings of our teacher. It's like planting a seed, but it takes 40 years until it gestates, until it fully blossoms and flourishes and grows. Because To really get to the mind of the teacher, there's such a distance between the teacher and the student. So as much as the teacher communicates his ideas, I'm just grasping a a little tiny drop of the mind of the teacher. The mind of the teacher is so far beyond the mind of the student that it takes 40 years of the student learning and digesting and chewing over and... And then, after 40 years, finally, after 40 years, then this mind of the student starts thinking like the mind of the teacher. That's why it doesn't matter if the student is a bright student or not it doesn't matter. because you have differences, differences in students. You have students who get things right away. It's very quick, bright, and you have students who struggle. It doesn't matter, even the brightest one. It takes 40 years. there's no rushing it, there's no shortcuts. Because whatever, whatever level of understanding you think you have, it's just, like he says, it's just a glimmer. It's just a little glimmer, a little ray of the sun of the teacher. You can't really get to the bottom and the essence of the teacher's mind. It's so beyond you. It's only slowly but surely, patiently, by digesting and internalizing and learning and chewing it over and again and again and again, 40 years later you can really get to the the mind the mind of the teacher. Or you know, it's like when you learn something a hundred times. If a person repeats and learns something a hundred times, sixty times, a hundred times, no matter how brilliant you are, no matter how bright you are, you can't compare As the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe said, the difference between the 59th time and the 60th time is more dramatic than the first time you're learning, between knowing and not knowing. Because it's only when you absorb something, when you truly absorb it and internalize it, and then it hits you, and you see things that you you were completely oblivious to. You didn't see it before. It's so obvious, and it's so powerful, but I didn't see it before. I've been looking at it 60 times, and I never saw it. I never realized it. It never hit me. And all of a sudden, I mean, you can know something for years. It happens to everyone. You heard it in school, and you learned it, and you read it a hundred times, a thousand times. And one day, it just hits you. Wow. So that's what it means. This is what it really means. But I've heard it, I've learned it, I've read it. It didn't. I it didn't get the same reaction. All of a sudden, something clicks. fala simon. Something clicks inside. Finally, I get it. Now I understand it as if for the very first time. There are no shortcuts. It's you have to learn it once and twice and ten times and twenty times and thirty times and forty times and fifty times and sixty times a hundred times till it sinks in. Till it you truly absorb it and then you're able to see things you would never be able to see. You know, it's like the difference between a genius and someone is not a genius. Today they throw the term loosely. Everyone, every rabbi today is called a genius. It's a mockery of the word genius. Gaon. In the olden days, a genius was truly a genius. But the true definition of a genius is that even if you were to learn for a thousand years, you would never ever see what the genius sees. Einstein saw things that all the other physicists uh, didn't see. They all studied the same thing, looked at the same thing, and no one saw what he saw. And they would study for a thousand years, they wouldn't see what he saw. It's a whole different level, all different category. So the, the student, no matter how bright the student is, there's such a gap between the student and the teacher. I'm talking about a true teacher that's head and shoulders above. So it's only... There's no, only when the student for 40 years continuously chews over the things that he's been taught. and Then suddenly the depth, it's like a seed, it's there. The, the brain, the mind of the teacher is there in his teachings. But, but the student doesn't see it. He just gets the surface, the most external part. But by chewing in it and cogitating and meditating and learning and studying and absorbing... After 40 years, something like opens up. And now, for the first time, he's able to see things and appreciate and see it from the teacher's point of view. It. It's like a leap. You leapfrog ahead, a whole different level. Or, like we see, when something really matters to you, when you truly care about something, something, an issue that's really, really is important to you, let's say it's a question of life and death, if something really, really matters to you and you really, truly care about it, you're able to understand things on a whole different level. Even simple people come up with ingenious ideas. If something is important to you, your life is on the line, or something real in your life, simple people in the Talmud Simple people, unlettered, uneducated people come up with the most ingenious arguments that the Talmudic rabbis are busting their heads to uh, keep up. Because when something matters to you, also you, it cuts through, you cut through the chase and you get to the core, the essence. But generally, it takes 40 years. No shortcut. It just has to mature, it has to gestate, you have to pickle it, you just have to until it's ready to blossom until it's ready to open up so but so the teacher is just communicating a an ray and, uh, and then only it takes forty years until you're able to get to the inside of the mind of the teacher, so because the teacher is limited in the body so even though he's communicating his ideas, but nevertheless, it's limited. How much could he communicate? He can only communicate the glimmer of a ray of who he really is. He can't really give over his essence. The students are just simply not capable of receiving. Forty years later, they can get a, a glimpse of the inner workings of the mind of the teacher. So that's true when the teacher's alive.
3: But after the Tzaddik's passing... Since the nefesh, which remains in the grave, is separated from the ruach, which comprises these three attributes, and after his passing is the Garden of Eden. The three attributes, now unbounded by the body, are in the Garden of Eden, a spiritual place whose atmosphere surrounds every individual in this world, as the Altarebi will presently explain.
1: The different levels of the soul is the nefesh, and that's the part of the soul that remains with the bones, remains with the body. There's a part of the soul, the lowest part, the interface with the body, that remains. on The matseva, that remains on the tomb, that remains with the body. When you go visit, that's, there's a part of the soul that's, that remains with the physical physical body, the lowest level of the soul. And
0: that's,
1: that's what it sounds like. Um, and then the ruach is separated. The higher part of the soul separated and goes to the Garden of Eden, goes to to Heaven, goes to the spiritual realm, which is no longer limited to the body. It departs from the body, it's separated from the body and now it's free and uh, it's no longer contained or associated or connected with the body, so it's no no longer limited to the body.
3: Whoever is close to him can receive a part of his Ruach which is in the Garden of Eden, an example, an actual part of the very essence of these attributes, as opposed to a mere reflection of them.
1: In this world when the tzaddik is alive we cannot receive the essence of his faith and his love and his awe. It's too deep for us, it's too profound for us. All we can receive is a glimmer of it, a little, a little taste of it. But now The tzaddik's ruach is no longer limited in the body. So if we have a love relationship with the tzaddik, we can receive directly from the essence of his spirit, the essence of his faith, the essence of his awe, the essence of his love. Direct. Direct transmission, direct communication. It's not limited anymore. You know, there's limits. You couldn't just go into the Rebbe. You have to make an appointment. And then there came a time where there was no longer any appointments, you can only go for dollars. It's limited, you can't just access. But now, the Rebbe is accessible 24 7 you don't need any appointment, you don't need to call the secretary. You can go direct, straight, however long you need or want. There's no limit, which is a reflection of where the tzaddik is at now that there's no limit. his his soul is in Gan Eden is no longer contained or limited to the body so again there's no limit you can directly access the essence of his spirit the essence of his faith and love and awe of Hashem those who have a relationship with could directly access and connect with it
3: Because the Ruach of the is now not within a vessel nor on the plane of physical space but in the Garden of Eden which as we'll will now be explained, is to be found within this world as well.
1: People think that the Garden of Eden is a place, a geographical place called the Garden of Eden, as a heaven is a geographical place, somewhere north of Siberia somewhere or whatever. <laughs> this heaven, spiritual, is not a place. Spirituality transcends time and space. Two plus two is four exists where exactly. It's a concept, it's an idea. It transcends time, of, time and place. 2 plus 2 is 4 is true in Siberia, and it's true in communist Russia, and it's true in uh, anywhere, in Cuba also, believe it or not. Maybe there 2 plus 2 is 5. But, uh, but uh, wherever you go, it transcends time and space. So sp- how much more so spirituality? It transcends time and space. So where is the Garden of Eden exactly? Is it up there? It's right here. There's no space. There's no time. There's no space. It's right here. It's right under my nose, right before me. It's not limited. And that's what he explains now.
3: For as is known, our sages of blessed memory said of our father Jacob, peace be to him, that the Garden of Eden entered with him when he came to be blessed by his father Isaac. Likewise, it is stated in Asara Mamaro that the atmosphere of the Garden of Eden envelops every individual, and in this atmosphere are recorded all his good thoughts and utterances of Torah and divine worship. And likewise, to the contrary, heaven, for, heaven forfend negative thoughts and utterances are recorded in the atmosphere from Gahana, which envelops every individual when he engages in it.
1: So we don't sense it, but a tzaddik senses it. When Isaac, when Jacob walked in the room, Isaac, who's spiritually sensitive and spiritually in tune, felt the vibration, felt the energy, felt an aroma of the Garden of Eden. He felt this positive energy, this beautiful energy that enveloped Yaakov, an aura. There's an aura. Every person has an aura. We don't see auras. We don't feel auras. Everyone has an energy. You know, some people walk in the room and you feel a positive energy just by their presence when they open the door. And some people, they just open the door and you cringe. <laughs> but they didn't say anything, they didn't do anything, but just their aura is negative and just a negative energy. And, because it's all influenced by our actions. Whatever we do, whatever we speak, whatever we say, and whatever we think. No one knows, but it's an objective reality. And it creates an impression and it leaves a mark around us in our aura. So when someone is positive, someone is in a good place, they're acting properly, they're thinking properly, they're speaking properly, their attitude is wholesome. Their aura, their energy is positive. You know, some people can see auras, or some people can you look at a person, you see there's a there's a there's a glow, there's an energy, there's there's a positive energy about them. you know it's a, you sit up and notice and some people have a very negative energy around it's all a result of our actions because we have Ghanedin is not up there hell is not there, we create our own hell on earth <laughs> and we create our own Garden of Eden because we have that energy so what do we do with that energy so the Garden of Eden comes with us and the Gehenna, the hell, also comes with us, is with us. Um, and that's why it says when we behave inappropriately, it creates consequences. It's almost like a consequence, not so much a punishment. You, know, you create, you generate negative energy, it, it creates consequences. Versus a person creates positive energy you behave a certain way, and you speak a certain way, and you think a certain way, and you have certain attitudes, that alone creates a positive energy. Even thought. You know, the Rebbe's would say, think good and it will be good. In today's Torah portion, the Rebbe points out, it says that Moshe, Moshe was afraid. When the two Jews, Das and Naviram, confronted him, why he killed the Egyptian? So it says Moshe was afraid. He says now I, now the thing now it's known. He thought that nobody knew what he did. He says now it's known. And then it says that Paro. Um, Paro summoned him, and then he ran away. But the first verse in the beginning, it says he was afraid. And all Moshe said, now I know that it's known, it's public knowledge, but why? why was, what's the point? Why is the Torah telling us that he was afraid? It doesn't say he did anything, didn't run away. He just noted, now I know that it's, that people know about what I did. And then it says that Paro called him and therefore he ran away. So the Rebbe points out that that Moshe It was actually his fear because he didn't have a positive attitude. Had he had a positive attitude, maybe it would have changed the outcome. Maybe he wouldn't have to run away. But because his response to what happened was he was afraid, he was in fear, he thought negatively, that led to a negative, negative consequence that suddenly Paro wanted to arrest him And he had to run away to save his life. Had he thought positively, it would have been a different outcome. So we create hell on earth and we create the Garden of Eden on earth. It's a consequence of our own thoughts, our own speech, our own actions. We speak negatively of other people. People start speaking negatively about us. It's a direct consequence. We don't, we don't make the causal connection, but that's exactly what happens. You put out negative energy, it comes right back at you. You put out positive energy, it comes right back at you. This way, that way, this form, the other form. We create our own hell and earth and we create our own, our own Garden of Eden because hell is here and Garden is here. It's not up there somewhere. There isn't a place, a geographic place can't take a plane to get to hell he <laughs> can't take a plane to get the guy made it, it's right here it's spiritual and that spirituality is with us that energy is with us so he's saying that, that this level is accessible it's here it's not somewhere elsewhere it's right here and therefore
0: to summarize after the saddak's passing his power and his faith, his love, and his love are not limited by his bodily vessel and by the physical world in general, but are in the garden of Eden, which is to, which is to be found in this world. It is therefore very easy for his disciples to receive their part of the essential aspects of their master's ruach, i.e. his faith, his awe, and his love with which he served Hashem.
1: It's a sense that's present in this world. It's right here. Even though his body is not here but the Garden of Eden is right here. If it was here while his body was alive, while he was still alive physically, the Garden of Eden was with him right here, how much more so when he's not here physically, but still the the Garden of Eden is right here. So that energy, that uh, vibrating energy, that vibrancy, that energy is right here, and it's accessible to the students who have a love and a relationship with their Rebbe. They can access it directly without any intermediary. When the tzaddik is alive, so I can only access it through the body, through the physical. But now that he's no longer limited to the body, he's not contained in the body, so therefore now you can access the essence of his faith and love and awe the essence of his life, the essence of his spirituality, that energy, you can access it directly. So the body, like, limits it. Even though the tzaddik has an aura around him, but we can't access that aura. We can only access the tzaddik by hearing him speak, by, by his thoughts, by his conscious activity. But now that he's no longer limited to the body, all we have is that energy and that aura and that presence, that spiritual presence. She so he says, now we can access it directly. So it's not contained anymore. So therefore now it's accessible. Before it wasn't accessible. Even though the tzaddik had an aura while he was alive. But since he had the body, so it contains... The soul and therefore the aura, I guess, is not accessible. But now that he, there is no body, he's no longer limited, no longer contained. His soul is too big to be contained. His soul has outgrown the body. It can't be limited and defined. So that means it's much more accessible, directly accessible. His very essence is directly accessible. So it's much more powerful. His life is much more powerful than it was before. Because the life wasn't the body. The life was his faith of Hashem, his love of Hashem, his relationship with Hashem. And now that his life is not contained anymore, can't be contained, because it's outgrown the body and it's much larger than the body, it means now his life is so powerful directly accessible if you have a love and a relationship with the Tzaddik, with the Rebbe you can directly access his Ruach, his spirit the essence of his spirit so he's more alive now than he was before here not in heaven the Garden of Eden is not in heaven it's right here So before he was limited, and now he's not. So you have direct access. And not merely
0: a glimmer thereof, which radiates beyond the vessel, and which reach them through his thoughts and words when the tzaddik is still alive. The essential aspect of his ruach, his essential faith, awe and love that relate to him and not to his disciples, is raised elevation beyond elevation, to become absorbed in his Nishama, which is in the higher garden of Eden, in the supreme worlds. Now it is known that no holy entity is ever totally and utterly uprooted from its original place and level, even after it reached the highest point. Rather, some trace of it always remains in its original lowly location. Moreover, as noted above, the lower garden of Eden is to be found even in the lowly world of a Thus it is This original aspect deriving from the Ruach of the Tzaddik remaining below in the lower Ganadin in its original place and level, which extends itself among his disciples. For this aspect has detached itself from the essential aspect of the Ruach of the Tzaddik. Its entire purpose is to be vested within his disciples.
1: So you have the Nefesh of the Tzaddik is associated, remains associated with the body. The ruach of the tzaddik is in the lower level of the Garden of Eden. The neshama of the tzaddik, is the highest level of consciousness of the tzaddik, that goes to the upper level of Ganetan, the higher level of the Garden of Eden. That's upward and beyond. That's beyond our reach. That we cannot access. But holiness remains firmly in place. Holiness doesn't depart. Energy doesn't disappear. So this level of ruach remains and it has an influence. It remains to influence us and it remains not just up there in heaven. Heaven is not a place. Heaven is not a geographic location up there. Heaven is right here. So that's there to uh, inf- that still influences us, influences the students. So that's the level where the students can access the essence of the Ruach of the Tzaddik. Not the Nishamma, but the essence of the Ruach of the Tzaddik. So the Tzaddik's faith and the Tzaddik's love and the Tzaddik's awe is so alive and so vibrant and so palpable, so powerful more alive and more powerful and more vibrant than it was while the tzaddik was limited to the body. That's why the tzaddik was limited to the body. Because as great as the tzaddik was, it was able to be contained by the body. When the tzaddik passes away, it means it can no longer be contained. The ruach is so powerful, it can no longer be contained. There's like a surge of energy that just bursts out of the body and just can't be contained any longer in the body. So he's so alive, that ruach is so alive, that spirit is so alive, that life, that life force, that vitality, it's so vibrant and so alive and so that it has a tremendous influence and impact on us, much greater than when the tzaddik was alive, when his life force was much smaller and could be contained. When the life force could be contained, then the only way the tzaddik influences us is externally, through his thoughts, through his speech, which is only a glimmer of a ray of the lower level of the tzaddik, when, he, when a life force of a tzaddik could still be contained in his body. But once the tzaddik passes away and the life force can no longer be contained, that means it's so powerful and so overwhelming. Now we can access it directly the students can access it directly. You don't need that interface of the body, you don't need an intermediary of the body, the interface. It's not the thought, not the speech, it's the actual love and awe and faith itself that directly influences us and affects us and impacts us. Here and now in this world, us who are alive physically, we can now directly access Sadat. So in a way, we are elevated together with the tzaddik. The possibilities have opened up. It's an opening. It's an opening. It's not a closing. It's not that passing away, the tzaddik passed away and the doors are shut and the gates are closed. And it's a closing on the contrary. It's an opening. Not only is it an opening for the tzaddik, but it's an opening for us. It's an elevation for us. Now that the tzaddik has burst out of his limitation and he's no longer contained, and can't be contained in the body because it's so powerful. It's a surge of energy, so powerful. Now we, who are alive and still the same limited beings we were before, but we're elevated together with the tzaddik, now we can access the tzaddik directly. His ruach. We can access that level directly. Before we couldn't. Now we could So it's an opening. The doors have opened. It's a breakthrough. It's a tremendous opening and breakthrough. That now it's accessible. Before it was closed. And now it's open. The Rebbe is open now. There's no one guarding the grave. You can go there at any time, any time. That, that's just a symptom of what's going on spiritually. That now there's a tremendous opening. with The passing is a tremendous opening of the doors. It's a very powerful concept. We don't think of it in these terms until you read this letter and this explanation. So this is a consolation. Instead of feeling that things have shut down and we're going backwards, God forbid, on the contrary, things have opened up. We're surging forward. We're going forward. We have possibilities today that we never had before because of the passing
2: of the time. But this aspect has detached itself from the essential aspect of the Ruach of the tzaddik. its entire purpose is to be vested within, within his disciples, each one according to the level of his bond and closeness to the tzaddik during his lifetime and after his passing out of an abounding love, for anything spiritually elicited only by means of an abounding love. And when this degree of love is present, the three attributes of faith, fear, and love are then drawn down. Thus it is stated in, this, in the sacred Zohar that the spirit, ruach, of the inner heart's desire elicits the spirit from above. So too the disciple's heartfelt love for his master draws down these three attributes. But only if he will prepare himself towards his, uh, towards his God with a great preparation and intense effort. As explained by the unnamed El quoted in Luke Hagaot, great preparation refers to the preparation of the soul. Intense effort refers to the toil of the body.
1: Just like electricity, you need a conduit. Otherwise you create a blockage. The conduit of anything spiritual is love. And a great love. Wherever there is Hashem, there is tremendous love. There is an openness of the heart. Where there is ego, there is no love. There is no capacity for love. Love is the breaking down of barriers, a sense of egolessness, where two become one, a breaking down of boundaries, a merging. You can't have two physical bodies in the same place. But love, two become one. So it's a merging of a soul. So true, genuine love of giving, of loving the other person, and losing yourself—it's really losing yourself and the other person, forgetting about yourself, self-forgetfulness. And, you know, we're not talking about the puppy love or huh, what we in America call love. That's 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 taking. It's not giving. It's not real love. It's just I love what you do for me. You know, that's not that's like loving ice cream. You don't love the ice cream. If you love the ice cream, you wouldn't eat it. (laughs) You just love yourself. You love what ice cream does for you. You love what the other person does for you. But that's not love. That's just... uh, You love yourself. That's not love. But real love, self-forgetfulness, and you really love the other person, and you lose yourself, and you forget about yourself, and... You merge with the other person. This is this is godly. This is egolessness. This is soul. This is spiritual. So real love, genuine love, is the conduit for anything spiritual. So if you love, there's a response. Energy responds to energy. If there's a genuine love. There's a response. If you love Hashem, Hashem responds. You can't help it. So if you love the tzaddik, in order to draw down this energy of the tzaddik, to access, the energy of the tzaddik, the life of the tzaddik, his relationship with Hashem, his love for Hashem, his awe of Hashem, his faith in Hashem, the deeper the love between the student and the teacher, between the chassid and the revi, and the soul flows, the energy flows from the tzaddik, then you can access. And the deeper the love, the more you can access the essence of the tzaddik's life so you have to prepare yourself with a tremendous tremendous effort doesn't come easy it's like anything else in life you have to work very hard this is a genuine it's not something that comes spontaneous, not something that comes even natural, instinctive. It's something that you have to work for very hard to appear yourself. You know, to get beyond your ego and to experience something spiritual, it doesn't come natural. Naturally, we're very materialistic beings and we're very egotistical beings. But to really experience something spiritual experience a genuine love and to experience something spiritual it, it acquires two, two parts one part is you have to go beyond your ego which is a tremendous effort toil because it's counterintuitive it seems unnatural you have to work on yourself to be egotistical is the path of least resistance it's the most natural thing in the world and to go beyond your ego, to stop your ego and to put it on hold and to create a space, to create an empty space and to get beyond your ego, that's tremendous effort. It doesn't come natural. We can't get over ourselves. We can't stop thinking about ourselves. We can't, for one moment, just stop. And stop thinking about yourself and forget about yourself. You try to open yourself up to something other than yourself. Almost impossible. So difficult. Most people go through their entire life and don't even try. They wouldn't even know what it feels like. They've never done it. <laughs> so that's one effort. That's what he calls uh Tsuma. It's a tremendous, intense effort. Because it's so counter, and so unnatural. To stop. To stop. Pause. Put your ego and pause. Put your ego and hold. That's very, very difficult. <laughs> you know, we don't try it too often. It's hard. It's hard because it's non-stop. Our ego is relentless. It doesn't stop. We can't stop thinking about ourselves for half a second. I, 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 Relentless. 24-7. So that's an intense effort just to stop. Give yourself a pause. Give yourself a break. It says in the code of Jewish law, before you, before you pray, you have to stop and wait a certain amount of time. So the re- deeper reason you have to stop because you can't come from outside and suddenly start praying. I mean, praying is connecting with Hashem, but uh, you're, 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 you're coming from the outside. You're, you're, it's I, 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 I. How do you get from I, I, I to Hashem? There's no room, there's no space for Hashem. I'm so obsessed with myself and I'm so absorbed in myself. You have to create some distance. You have to stop, give put a pause, put your ego on hold, stop. That's the miracle of Shabbos. Giving your ego a break. Shabbos is a day of rest. What, what are we resting exactly? Turning on a light is not exactly a tremendous effort. It's no big deal. You, you're putting your ego to rest, you're giving your ego a rest, taking a rest from your ego. You're the creative, you're the macher. you're the mover, you're the shaker. Stop! Shh! Quiet. Most people don't even know what to do with that. Quiet. Constantly, constantly, ay, 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 constantly. Just to stop. To be quiet. And to step back. And just to create that space, that empty space called Shabbos. No distractions, just create that. That's already, that's the, the intense effort. Then, once you've created that laid the groundwork, which is the most difficult, you know an artist before they paint, they spend a half hour in the morning playing with a brush, papering, because you can't just jump in all of a sudden if you're painting, whatever you know, first you have to remove all the distractions. Removing all the distractions is the most difficult part, because your mind is, is, is racing and you're constantly you're so. Absorb whatever you were doing just to create that quiet and that peace and to the, 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 the walk away, to step back, that detachment, that empty space. That's the most difficult. That preparation, it's a preparation, but that preparation he calls intense effort it's the most difficult part. So unnatural, so counterintuitive. Once you create that empty space and you create, you've made the preparation, you've laid the groundwork, now you can. Now I can focus and concentrate on the spiritual work. Now I can develop an awareness and a love for Hashem. I can concentrate. I can So even when you're learning something, when you're trying to learn something, to focus and concentrate, a person can learn for a few hours, but maybe the first three hours you just it's just to remove all the distractions. <laughs> Once you've completely quieted all the distractions, now I can really get into the heart of the matter. I'm totally focused, totally concentrated. Am I thinking of anything else? I'm totally absorbed in what I'm doing. Totally absorbed. But to get to that place, to be totally absorbed and self-forgetful and become egoless and completely forget about yourself and become totally one with whatever you're doing, to zone in whatever word or language you want to call it, to get to that place, you're totally focused and zoned in and forget about your ego and forget about yourself. You become one with whatever you're doing till you reach a place where you can become completely oblivious to your surroundings. You're like in a trance. You can be absorbed and all of a sudden you wake up. Wow. Hours went by. I, I completely didn't feel myself. I didn't feel time. I lost any sense of time, any sense of self. That, that's, that's the peak that's the peak experience. A person can reach that level. Those, those who accomplish great people, who accomplish great things, reach that level. They, 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 they reach a peak experience where they completely forget about themselves. They become completely absorbed in whatever they're doing. They lose any sense of self, of time, of place. And they accomplish tremendous things. The creative juices flow and they do tremendous things. But to get to that place doesn't come like that. To, that's what he says. Intense, intense effort. Great preparation and intense effort to be able to remove your ego, the toil of the body, and then you can prepare your soul. You can, you can work on focusing and concentrating, And then when you do that, yeah, so that he will receive
3: so that he will receive these attributes in the way that his master taught him. To paraphrase the words of our sages of blessed memory, if you have labored and claim to have, found, believe it.
1: When a person works very hard, you will accomplish, but the rabbis use the expression, you will find. When you find something, if you find a lost object, it didn't really work on finding it. You just got lucky. You're walking down the street and you find a $100 bill. It's not like you worked for it. You could work from today till tomorrow. You're not going to find anything. (laughs) It's something that just... So the Talmud is telling us not only if when you work hard not only will you be rewarded your effort will be rewarded that you'll, you'll, you'll succeed but the success is not commensurate to the effort. It's as if you walked down the street and found something because the the success will be way beyond your effort. A person puts in the real effort and you put in the genuine effort. the breakthrough the, the the success, the understanding will be and it's not just the reward that you've earned. I worked hard, so I've earned the reward, just like you work hard, you get paid, but it'll be like like a bonus you, you you'll you'll get and like the bonus is even more than, than the principal. some bonuses are greater than the principal. Some, some corporations, the bonus, end-of-the-year bonus is more than the whole year's salary. The, when a person works truly hard, internal work, does the internal work, and works hard, spiritual work, the success and accomplishment is almost as if you found something, unprepared. Because it's so beyond your effort. It's like mentor to your effort. It's so beyond. That. So he says, a person really exerts and tries to receive and follow the the teachings of his teacher, and tries to follow in this path, having faith in Hashem and a relationship with Hashem and awe of Hashem and love of Hashem, and infuses his own Torah mitzvot, his own learning and his own mitzvot and his own fulfillment of mitzvot and his own prayer and his own acts of kindness with that love and awe and faith in Hashem that are received from the tzaddik and the teachings of the tzaddik, the uh, reward will be Matsasa will be in a way that's not even commensurate to his effort, way beyond his effort. He'll be able to access the very essence of the spirit of his
0: teacher. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com